I um, have something I wanted to share with you because there's people today that don't believe that Israel as a nation has a future. And I want to make sure you understand what the Bible says about that. I do not believe in replacement theology that the church is replacing Israel. Look up here. God had made promises to the nation of Israel. He made a promise to Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. There were promises made. There was a law that was given. Christ came. And so many people believe that the church has supplanted the nation of Israel. And therefore, there is not going to be a millennium in the future of the Davidic reign of the nation of Israel, where Christ will be here and David will be here as the king of Israel. And so they don't believe this is going to take place. Many believe that the church is going to do such a good job that we're going to win the nations to the Lord. And so everybody's going to, you know, reach this utopia. And uh, therefore, we're going to bring in this kingdom because we're going to produce it. And if Christ wants to have any fun in it, he better get down here because he's going to miss out. Well, I'm not sure I buy all of that. But there are people that believe it. And so I want to show you, I do not believe that the promises that God made are null and void. I believe that they are real promises and that they will be fulfilled just like the Lord says. So turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is on page 362. Old Schofield Reference Bible. Does the church replace Israel? No, it does not. And I want to explain it to you because it makes a difference on what we consider to be the nation of Israel today, the Jewish people. Many people believe that America is now the new Jerusalem, the new Israel, and I do not buy that. I do not believe that. I believe that God is going to have a fulfillment of his promises that he made to the nation of Israel that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it will happen just like he said. So you'll notice here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, look there in verse 2, that the king said unto Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. The king said that. And talking about David, he wanted to build a temple for the Lord himself. And he says, I want to build one. But the Lord says, you've got too much blood on your hands, but you get all the stuff together, and I'll have your son after you. Solomon will build it. And that's why it's called Solomon's Temple. But he also made some statements that I think is very well looking at. Look there in verse 10. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in the place, a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. God has made some promises that he has a place for Israel. He's going to give them a particular land, plant them in their land, and they'll not be rooted out anymore. Now, as we know, they have been rooted out several times, but God is looking on down the road 
to the finality of everything that he promises, and he says so, this is what's going to take place. And if you want to know, does the Bible really tell us things that we can believe and see that it's true? Because I can't see God, and I can't see heaven, and I can't see hell, but the Bible gives me enough information that I should be able to say, you know, he said this, and it happened. He said this, and it happened. You know, it just might happen that this is true, too. God has said we are hard-headed and stiff-necked, and I'm going to show you things in advance so that whenever it happens, you know, I told you so. Look what he also says here in verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, talking about David, whenever you're dead and gone... I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. For how long? Now, that's what he said. But, you know, you can't believe what God says, right? No, you can't believe what God says. So he says, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now, that is a reference also that goes beyond the seed of Solomon and Nathan after him. It goes on down the road till you get to the person called Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was of the seed of David. And he could claim the throne of David because he was of the right family, the right lineage, the right line, the nation, the tribe, everything. And he was born just like he was supposed to be born in a certain place, in a certain year, he was right on schedule. God has things laid out. So when Jesus Christ came, the Bible says that he would rule and reign. Well, he hasn't done that yet, but God promised that he would. God promised that he would be the king of Israel, and he hasn't been the king of a kingdom yet here. Now, he is the king, and he is also the head of the church. When he makes this statement there in verse 16, he says, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established for how long? Forever. Before the, thy throne shall be established forever. That sounds like a long time to me. He says that he is going to establish a kingdom that will be upon the earth and it will last forever. And he also made a statement in the book of Luke, And the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, he gets down into here and he makes a few statements, but look at verse 23. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee for how long? See, he's talking about the nation of Israel will be a people forever, and thou, God, art become thy God. This is what God promised. Now, did God change everything and it's not going to work anymore? Because Israel really messed up and so now they've been scattered upon the face of the earth. And we don't know who they are. We don't know where the tribes are. And so everybody's lost. And so, is, no. Believe the word of God. And you'll understand more about what's going on in the world today. And it doesn't look good for a little old 
tiny nation called Israel. But God has made some promises. And you might as well just believe what the Bible says. It doesn't matter how many Muslim nations want to destroy the nation of Israel. Israel is not going to be annihilated. The people will always be a people. There will always be a remnant of Israel. Now, Israel is the best testimony that there is a nation like Israel. Believe in what God says, that it is true. If you want to know if the Bible is true, look how many nations there are that would love to destroy this one little bitty tiny nation, and God said it would be like that. So therefore, you're having things fulfilled in our time, in real time, and you can know the truth. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Daniel in chapter 2. The book of Daniel in chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 and look in verse 44. As time moves on, understand that God is going to have this kingdom set up. And in Daniel chapter 2, he makes this statement. And in the days of these kings, this is on page 902, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. God is going to set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. Isn't that what he said? And, and is that what he said? And he says, And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand for how long? Forever. So now this is later on in the book of Daniel. Now we're talking here about maybe 600 years before Christ came. But the word of God tells us that there's going to be a kingdom, that there's going to be this last world ruling power set up by Christ himself that will last forever. Now there's always imitators. And the imitators are here and they are real. Now let me show you this. This is Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he paid for all the sins of all the world. That means all the people before Christ, all the people after Christ, He's already died and paid for all the sins of every individual. So every individual can have salvation. They were saved looking forward to Christ, to the payment that would be made for their sins. We're saved looking back to the cross. So history is his story. It's all about the Lord. It's either before Christ or after Christ. He is the central figure in history. Therefore, Christ came right on schedule just like it was prophesied. When we talk about he's going to set up a kingdom, in the Old Testament it says that he's going to have a kingdom set up on the earth. This Davidic kingdom right here is a thousand year reign upon the earth. Then the Bible talks about there will be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, but then he says the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end to it. No end. So God has told us what he's going to do, and he's also got a calendar, and he's laid it out. Something you'll find when you read in the Old Testament, you see, and in the process of time, and in the process of time, and in the process of time, it means time is being processed. It's coming on down the road, and now we're down to here. This is where we are right now, according to God's timetable. 
The next thing that we can look forward to is for the rapture to take place. We'll be snatched out of this world in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what's going to happen next. Then the Bible describes a seven-year period of tribulation upon the earth. The worst period of time that the world has ever known lies right ahead of us, and it's not a utopia. It means that everybody in Washington is not going to solve the world's problems. The United Nations are not going to solve the world's problems. They are the problem, and it is government that is becoming our problem. It's like Nobody has any common sense anymore. They don't need common core. They need common sense. But then that's another sermon. Now, look in chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. And look in verse 1. Verse 1. Talking about Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon. Here in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king... Unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought miracles toward me. How great are his signs! How mighty are his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now understand this. There's two main things that we find. In the book of Matthew, and it's only found in the book of Matthew, is a phrase called the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is this, when the king comes and sets up the kingdom upon the earth. That's the kingdom of heaven found in the book of Matthew. Now, you'll also see a lot of scriptures all over the Bible that talks about the kingdom of God. But remember this. Remember when Nicodemus came to see Jesus and um, Jesus says, that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And unless you're born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. It means from the very beginning to the very end, everyone who trusts Christ as their Savior are placed into the kingdom of God. You have been translated into the kingdom of God. You've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So the kingdom of God is this spiritual world in which he is the king of, and he rules that. There's the kingdom of darkness, which is the world, and which is the devil and all of his demons, and that's the, where the works of the flesh are done. So when you and I trusted Christ as our Savior, we were born into God's kingdom, into his new family into spiritual life and that is the kingdom of God so in the kingdom of God there is a kingdom of heaven and this kingdom of heaven is a literal on the earth rule that God talks about and it says you cannot get into the kingdom unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees which were the law keepers which means that you had to have a righteousness which was better than all the religious leaders of that day, the lawyers of that day, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All of those weren't good enough. That's why Christ came to give us His righteousness. His righteousness makes us as righteous as God. And that is the gift of God. 
When you trusted Christ as your Savior, God gives to you as a free gift everlasting life. Now look there in the book of Daniel in chapter 7. Daniel in chapter 7. And look in verse 27. The Bible talks about that in the last days, things are going to take place. During this seven-year tribulation period upon the earth, the Bible talks about the nations of the earth are going to come together and form a one-world government. That's the beast that comes out of the sea. There will be a one-world religion. That's the beast that comes out of the land. So there's two beasts, one religious and one political. And so you've got to capture a man's mind before you can control the man. So there's going to be moves on to try to determine how a man thinks. Not only how he thinks, but what he thinks. They've got to have a way to determine what you think and how you think. This is why there's such a dumbing down process in our public education today. This is why the government wants to get control of the children because you cannot preserve a nation unless you can preserve the education of the children. So the parents have given our children to the government and they eliminate God and they eliminate the Bible, they eliminate Christianity, they eliminate the morality, they eliminate everything that you need to stabilize a society. Because they can't think for themselves. They have to be controlled by more and more regulations. And that's why you see us losing freedom and we're not gaining anything. We're going downhill. This is the tribulation period, the worst period of time the world has ever known. And the nations are going to come together and they're going to give their power to one person. And if we only had one government and one leader, then we'll have peace. But what if it's the wrong kind of a leader? Now what you going to do? When they can control the world, what you going to do if it's wrong and it takes away all of your freedom? How do you get it back? How would you ever get it back? See, that's what's going to happen here. And then, lo and behold, the light is shining from the east to the west, and boom, the Son of Man comes in power and great glory. And the only way you can solve this problem is with this solution. Then he's coming. He is coming. So here in chapter 7, look in verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. So there is a day coming when Christ comes back, we are going to be in a kingdom here, and there will still be nations upon the earth, but we'll be here for a thousand years. It'll be like a utopia. It'll be like the Garden of Eden, once again. And the Bible says, and the saints shall rule. Right now, there's all these movements trying to eliminate Christianity. And the world gets darker and darker and darker because there's less light. Saints are the light of the world. We are the preservative, the salt of the earth. Therefore, we do make a difference, but we're slowly losing our influence and our impact. And this is where we stand. So take your Bible now and turn to the book of Hosea. Just go to the next book to your right there. Hosea, chapter 3. Hosea, chapter 3. 
And look in verse 4. In verse 4. And look what he says here. This is written over 700 years before Christ came. He says, this is what's going to be prophesied for the future. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, and without a teraphim. In other words, the temple is going to be destroyed. The temple destroyed, Israel will be scattered upon the face of the earth. And they will not have a king. Look up here. There was a curse put upon the line of Jeconiah because of his sin and rebellion against the Lord. And he was taken by Nebuchadnezzar and he was watching as his two sons were killed and he was blinded. And the Bible says that none of his seed would ever sit upon the throne of Israel. And yet he was in the line of which the line comes from. So how in the world is he ever going to have a son set upon the throne of Israel? God always has a way. It would take a virgin birth. And that's why Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Because it was the Lord who planted the seed within the womb of Mary and says, That holy thing shall be called the Son of the Highest. And Jesus Christ was in the right line, but he did not have an earthly father because God put a curse upon the line. So Christ is the only one who can claim the throne of Israel or Israel is forever without a king. And so the Bible says that Christ was rejected and crucified and they have abided many days without a king. Israel has not had a king since. But is Israel going to one day have a king? Yes, they will. Look there in verse 5. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. This has not yet been fulfilled. Israel has gone back to the land and become a nation from all the various nations. It's never happened before. Of all the nations on the earth, it's never happened to any nation, but it happened to Israel. Just like God said. And they've gone back, become established as a nation, but they're not back in belief. They're still back in rebellion. And the day is coming when God is going to lure the boom by using the nations of the earth as a rod to whip his people Israel. And when Israel sees that they have nothing left, they're near annihilation, God is going to have to miraculously deliver and that's when the nation of Israel will be saved in a day. When they will see their Messiah and say, where did you get the scars that are in your hands? He says, I received those when I came the first time in the house of my friends. And they will see and they will know and they will believe on the Lord. I think it's awesome. What a story. Also, look there in the book of Hosea in chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. Now look in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. So Israel has been smitten and scattered. And then he says in verse 2, After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. This is the, the day of rest. See, it's like from creation to the flood, 
about 2,000 years. From the flood to the cross, about 2,000 years. From the cross until here is about 2,000 years. And this is 1,000 years. You've got six days and a day of rest. God has already figured it all out. We're right dead on schedule. And how long, he says, one day is a 1,000 years, 1,000 years is a day. You can have all the fun you want to. I believe this book. I believe God knows what he's doing. And so I, yes, I believe this. Now take your Bible and turn to Amos, the book of Amos, chapter 9. Just go to your right a couple pages there, page 940. To the book of Amos. And notice here in the book of Amos, in verse 9, this is where God had made some prophecies about this great nation of Israel. And verse 9 says, For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Now, God says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to send Israel all the nations. All right. This is before it happened. Has it happened? Israel... The Jewish people were scattered and they went all over the world. And then, May the 28th, 1948, become a nation. They come and here they come. And God ain't through yet. But here, the biggest thing is going to be is they're going to make a peace treaty with Israel. Isn't it amazing that all the presidents have tried to get a peace treaty made with Israel? But there can be no real peace without the Prince of Peace. So they've gone through a mockery of things and, well, the, the PLO and, the, you know, the Hamas and all these. Listen, Israel is going to be duped into believing that they're going to have peace. And they're going to sign a peace treaty. And they're going to be fooled. They're going to believe that this last one to guarantee them peace is like the Messiah. And Jesus says if he comes in his own name, they'll believe it. But he came in his name and they won't believe that. So look what he says. In verse 11, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. So this is not a reference to the church. He is not saying all these things, then I'm going to forget all about that, and we're just gonna, I'm just going to start the church age. Now, this is the church age, but this started when Israel was scattered. And it's going to end. And when it ends, the tribulation period begins. And this, and this is all about Israel. It's out there in the future. It's been almost 2,000 years. But the promises of God will hold true. It will happen just like he said it would. So you notice there in verse 13. Verse 13, Amos chapter 9. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed. And the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel, 
And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land. And they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord God. He's coming back and he's going to rebuild everything. And everything he's promised is going to happen just like he says. And Israel will never be pulled up again. Would you believe that the day is coming when Israel will be the greatest nation in the world? The greatest nation in the world. And today she's that little bitty nation over there. And there's over 54 Muslim countries that want to push them into the sea. Totally annihilate the nation of Israel. How in the world are they managing to even survive? When so many want to do them in. The only big nation that is standing by Israel, and I think they're starting to wobble, is America. But the Bible says that all nations shall turn against Israel. All the nations. Now, turning your Bible to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, just keep going to your right. Zechariah in chapter 14. See, God has made some statements. He has to keep his word. Zechariah chapter 14, look in verse 1. This is on page 978. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. God's going to do this. You see, God is going to chasten the nation of Israel for their rejection of Christ. And when they made that statement, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. They got their wish. And God is going to use the nations of the world like a rod in order to whip his people. And then when God gets through whipping them, he's going to whoop them for whipping his people. He's going to get them back. And God's going to chase them. And that's when he takes all these nations that come against Israel into the plains of Jezreel right there at Megiddo. And he's going to put them in this great big old valley. And the Bible says the blood will be as high as a horse's bridle. I've stood there. I've been there six times. And I'm talking about it's a great big old plain. And I'm trying to picture all this. And the blood going all that way, about 200 miles, and going down through the valley there near Jerusalem. And you think, good night. How many people have to die? And God says what he's going to do is like a great big old bowl. And he's taking these vines. And he's going to send out his angels. And they got these sickles in their hand. And they're cutting down these grapevines. And they're dragging all of these vines with all of these grapes into this great big old valley. And God says, I'm going to stomp them with my feet. Called a wine press. And these grapes are people from all over the world. And he's going to destroy the nations. And then those individuals from different nations that will believe on the Lord get to go into the kingdom. And those that do not will be cast into hell. Now you stop and think. That's what he said. If you notice the world and know anything about history and you study anything and you see all these things happen, it's just a coincidence. Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. It means that there's got to be a God in heaven that gave us a book on earth and they match. And what he says is what's happening and it's real. And you say, well, what's the next thing to happen? I'm glad you asked. The rapture is going to take place. It means that if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, one of these days he's going to come back seven years before this and take us out of here. 
It means that while I'm standing here preaching, if the rapture took place right now, I would not physically die. I'll be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, and caught up to meet the Lord in the air and never physically die. There will be a generation of people living that will physically never die. And I believe that's my generation. You see, why? Because that's the way I want it. All right. Maybe it won't happen quite that way. Now look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. We've got to move on. Y'all are taking me too much time. In verse 4, if you listen faster, I could talk faster. In verse 4, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Look up here. That's a mountain, in case you didn't know it. That's the Mount of Olives. I knew you didn't know that. That's the Mount of Olives. Now I know it doesn't say the horse's feet. It's talking about his feet. But anyway, when his feet touch upon the Mount of Olives... The Bible says it will divide. Now, there's another sermon in here later on. But when he comes back in power and great glory to the earth as the king. Remember, he came the first time as a lamb. And he did not lead them from the iron heel of Rome. He came as a lamb to be led to a slaughter. And he let them kill him. He didn't prohibit it. He allowed them to, by wicked hands, kill the Son of God. Here he comes back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Here he comes back and he'll rule with a rod of iron. Now, whether you know it or not, Jesus was not some little sissy. I believe he looked more like Arnold. And I'm not talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger either. But I believe he was a man's man. He was a carpenter. He was a man. No sissy. If I'd have been on that cross and they'd have killed me, I'd have come down there and I'd have zapped them and then got back up there, you know. <laughs> but look what he says here in Zechariah. Notice in verse 12. This is what's going to be taking place at the end when he comes back. And it says, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. Now, that's a nuclear-type war, where you're standing upon your feet and your eyes melt out of your eye sockets and your tongue is consumed and your flesh comes off your bones. Ooh. Now, this is looking into the future ahead of us. This is nuclear war. God describes it and tells us how it's going to happen. He said, and one-third of all the green trees are going to be burnt. All the grass is going to be burned. One third of the world population destroyed at one time. That's all going to happen during this. This is why it's called the tribulation period. Worst period of time the world has ever known. Lies right ahead of us. And then look up there in verse 16. Verse 16. He says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is what God says. It is called the king because the people who are left get to go here and they will worship the king. This has nothing to do with the church. This is prophecy that's out here and we are here. We are going to be taken out of here. God has something else for us. But the promises that he made to the nation of Israel, God will keep. 
You remember in Matthew chapter 2 where he made the statement that Jesus, they asked the question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? He was born king of the Jews. Because you see, he was the king that was in line to become the king of Israel. Take your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. You see why we use the Bible here? We believe it. Otherwise, you just get nothing but some man's opinion. Look at the book. It'll increase your faith. Believe the Bible is true. But in Matthew chapter 25, look what it says in verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. He didn't promise this to the church. He promised this to Israel. This is in the book of Matthew. This is to the Jewish people. He says, when he shall come in his glory, Christ in glory, when he comes back in power and great glory, and every eye will see him. When he comes for us, he does that over here, and it's, you're just gone. You disappear here, and you appear there. That's pretty fast. If he came right now, and if, let's say, for example, there was 50 people in here that didn't know the Lord. All the rest of us would just disappear. You'd still be sitting here. Where would he go? Where would he go? Where would he go? We're all gone. And you'll be saying, I believe, I believe. <laughs> I want to go. Too late. Now, you can still go to heaven. But you won't be in our group. See, we got a special group called the church. You're going to have to go into this. This, this is where you go. If you're here today and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, if the rapture took place right now, this is what you have to look forward to. The worst period of time upon the face of the earth. I'm so glad that I've already made my reservation. I'm already on my way. I'm good to go. I don't get to go because I'm good. I'm just good to go. But he says this in verse 32, And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he's going to separate them. Believers from the unbelievers. The believers get to go into the kingdom, and the rest of them do not. Take very quickly and look in Acts chapter 1. Acts, in the book of Acts chapter 1. And you'll notice that the apostles had been with Christ for, you know, 40 days after his passion. And he made this statement here. In verse 6, Acts chapter 1, this is on page 1147, and it says in verse 6, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. If he was going to deny that there was going to be a kingdom, this would have been a good time to do it. But he didn't say, No, there's not going to be one. No, he says, It's not for you to know. So it's been almost 2,000 years has passed. Israel has been scattered. Miraculously, after 2,000 years, go back to the land, just like God promised that that's going to happen. And they've got to have somebody here to make a peace treaty with. So there's a nation, but they're in unbelief. That's why they'll make the peace treaty with this Antichrist. 
And they'll think the Messiah has finally got here. He's promising them peace, and you're going to make sure the world leaves them alone, and they're going to be so glad, and then they're going to be so sad. It's going to be a terrible, terrible time. Look in Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter... You didn't know you were going to go through the whole Bible in one day, did you? <laughs> Revelation chapter 11. And look at verse 15. Now this is during the tribulation period. It's in the book of Revelation. And this is a prophecy about what is about to take place. In verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign for how long? Now remember back there in 2 Samuel when he says, and you're going to have a seed that's going to come, and he is going to be the king of Israel, and he is going to have a kingdom that's going to last forever, and he is going to last forever. In that same chapter it says, what kind of a man is this? A man that's going to come and live forever in the kingdom upon the earth. That's Jesus Christ. Now, you can't make people... Believe the Bible. I can't make people believe the Bible. But do I believe the Bible? <laughs> yes, I do. I even believe the cover. It's got Holy Bible on it. How do you believe that part? But remember this. In the book of Jude, the Bible says about Enoch prophesied, and this was back before the flood. Enoch prophesied that, Behold, he cometh with thousands of his saints. Well, he already saw that back there. But look how long it's been. You see, God doesn't count slackness like we do. You see, time doesn't mean that much to the Lord like it does to us. We only got just a little bit of it. He got all the time in the world. And we only got a little bit of it. So it is important. In Revelation chapter 19, you'll find that it's talking about Christ is coming back in power and great glory. King of kings, Lord of lords, and he sets up his kingdom upon the earth. Look up here. I want to show you this. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, then you're not saved. You say, what does that mean? It means that you don't go to heaven when you die. It means that you don't have eternal life. It means that you are going to be placed into the final lake of fire. Now, if everything else God says happens like he said, did you know what he said about something that you can't see like heaven and hell? You know, he might be right about that too. If you can't prove him wrong on the other things he says, what makes a person think they can prove him wrong on the other? You can't. Better listen. Better take heed. Now, let me show you how you can be sure, positive of going to heaven when you die. I'm not talking about being close. I'm talking about you're either 100% saved or you're 100% lost. There ain't no 99%. No, you're not. You're 100% lost or you're 100% saved. You're the saved or lost. You either believe it or you don't believe it. This hand represents you and me. This wallet represents sin. We all have sin upon us. God says that he loves us. He loves us. Now, he hates what we do wrong, but he loves us. And the Bible says... To pay for sin is eternal separation from God. So that's why every man sins, every man is condemned, every man dies. Every man is already 
on his way to hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. But to go to heaven, you'd have to be perfect because heaven is perfect and God is perfect, but we're not. And because of sin, see, we can't get in. So many people think that if they go to church, that takes some of their sins away. Or if they give money to the church, well, that takes some of their sins away. You know, if they live a good life, that'll take some of their sins away. Nothing takes away your sin except death. And you're guilty, and I'm guilty. So we cannot save ourselves. We have a debt to pay, which means eternal separation from God. That's where we're headed. And the church cannot save you. No church can save you. No religion can save you. So that's why you need a Savior. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He's the one that was prophesied that would come. And he came right on schedule just like he said he would. And he came into the world because he loves us. He had no sin. But our sins separates us. So he can't get to me and I can't get to him because he can't tolerate sin. So he lived for 33 years and committed no sin, so he didn't have to die. But because of his love for us, he took all the sin of all the world, past, present, and future, and paid it for them on the cross. And said that if you and I would believe, he did it for us. He came back from the dead. The payment's made. The only thing we have to do to go to heaven is, will you believe he did that for you? That's so simple. But you see, when you add works into it, man's works, then it gets complicated. Then you don't know for sure they're going to make it or not. No, it's the gift. It's free. And if I was offer you my Bible and you accept, you'd have a Bible. If I offered you my wallet and you accept, you'd have an empty wallet. But if Christ walked in here right now and he offered you eternal life and you accepted, what would you have? Eternal life. Now think about it. If it's eternal, how long would it last? Uh, this is a hard question. I really know that. It's a very difficult question. When Christ died on the cross, how many sins did he pay for? Well, if he paid for all of them, then why should I have to go to hell and pay for one sin if he paid for all of them? All I have to do is believe he did it for me. So when I believed he did that for me 53 years ago, God gave me as a free gift everlasting life. I get to go to heaven on what Christ did. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. It's a gift. It's free. And that's why if you're sitting here today and you're not sure, or if you're watching by the Internet, understand that God so loved the world, you know, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, anybody, whosoever believeth. You believe that he, when he died, he died for you. He paid for your sin. He says, you shall not perish. means you will not go to hell. That's a promise. You will not go to hell. If I believe this, I will not go to hell. If I believe this, I have everlasting life. If I believe this, I have everlasting life. Well, I believe that, then I have everlasting life. How do I know I have everlasting life? Because I believe this. Do you believe this? If you believe it, what do you have? He that believeth on me hath, present tense, right now, hath everlasting life. So if I believe it, I have everlasting life. And that's how I know that I'm going to heaven whenever I die. There's no tricks to it. That's the best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. You that are watching by internet, right on your screen, if you will accept Christ as your Savior, if you've already done it before, you don't need to do it again, but right on your screen, you can just click it on and say, yes, I believe that. I want to know I have eternal life, and right now I will trust Christ as my Savior. And friend, if you'll do that, 
click it on for us. We'd love to know. But if you're here in the auditorium, if you've never trusted the Lord, would you right now just say, Lord, I'm, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Christ died on that cross and paid for my sins. And I'm going to trust him right now and him alone as my only hope of going to heaven. Friend, if you've never done it before, would you do it? I pray that you will. If you will trust Christ as your Savior, I'd like to ask you to just clip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down. Is anyone at all before we leave? I'd like to have prayer for you. Anyone at all before we close? Our Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We're thankful for the free gift of everlasting life, for giving it to us without works because of how much you loved us. We ask your blessings upon each person here. And for those that are watching by internet that have trusted you as Savior this morning, in Christ's name we pray, amen.